0: Hello, Erica.
1: Hello, Stephen. We watched episode five of Inferno.
0: Yeah, I, the, the initial plan, uh, believe it or not, we had a mild plan today. How unlazy of <laughs> us is to watch uh, three, four do a podcast, five, six do a podcast, maybe seven do a podcast. But uh, but you want to talk about things in episode fives.
1: Yeah, I sometimes have trouble remembering things from two episodes back. And there were like multiple items that I wanted to touch on for this one. So I didn't want to forget them and then... After watching episode six as well, yeah. uh, but first you forgot to mention something in the last podcast.
0: Yes, the uh, was it Derek Ware? Oh no, it wasn't Derek Ware. It was, was someone. Derek Ware played the guy on top of the thing, but I can't remember the name of the stunt man who did the actual fall off the uh, the big oil tanker vat after getting shot by uh, by soldiers. That at the time was the Guinness Book of World Record um, for. Highest stunt fall in a television series and maybe a movie too. So yeah, mm-hmm. Doctor Who held a Guinness Book of World Records for stunts at that time. How about that?
1: Action by havoc. Havoc.
0: <laughs> Love action by havoc. They do good work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, on a totally different note, I wanted to say that I I feel like your comments about the brigadier being so disturbingly different did I didn't that didn't twig for me mm-hmm. previously because we hadn't gotten here yet. To me, I think it's in episode five where we actually see the differences because when you put somebody under real life and death pressure, that's where you see like the the content of their character. And we've seen our brigadier under that kind of circumstance many times and seen how he holds up to it, Um, which is like very awesomely Mm -hmm. because he's the brig. and. We're here. We see the brigade leader, and he loses his cookies a little bit. Like he just starts yelling and freaking out, and becomes instantly self interested. Yeah. Like as soon as the doctor mentions something about having uh, a way to to travel, uh, he immediately says oh, okay, I think we need to go and take another look at this uh, contraption of yours. And you can see the glint in his eye. Like that is that is a gleam of self-interest. He thinks, oh, maybe I see a way out of this. And just all the way through, he is continually more and more coming apart at the seams. And that's that's what I find so different from the brig. And that's the the bit that I find disturbing.
0: Yeah, his status and his uh, power are slowly fading away and and lacking importance as this whole escapade goes on and he could tell like well I'm used to being the one getting out of this sort of thing because of who I am and where I am in, in society and all of a sudden that means nothing now that the earth is close to being blown up and they're being penned in by a bunch of weird looking werewolves
1: mm-hmm. and even if he didn't believe that the, uh, the earth was coming to an end he definitely recognizes that they have all been left out hung out to dry mm-hmm. by their glorious republic um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the scene between Petra and Sutton um, where you know it, he points out to her that this is like they're not letting us leave the reason that we have been ordered to stay here is because it would just increase panic Mm -hmm. if we got out and i think the brigade leader also knows that because he's been around long enough and he's probably seen the same thing happen to other people Mm -hmm. And and thought oh no that's not going to happen to me because i'm you know i am the right class i'm the right race i am the right uh status Mm -hmm. in in the hierarchy and yet turns out doesn't matter Mm-hmm. doesn't make a difference when you're under a government like that. Um, they're not going to lift a finger to help you if it's going to uh, upset the apple cart for, for the rest of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to watch this now after having watched uh, the series that you would probably not enjoy, but I really enjoyed in a. You know, in a thrilling way, Chernobyl mm. on HBO and Sky, uh, which is very much you know this a big disaster, and everyone just sort of like covering it up and like don't spread panic and like don't mm-hmm. let this get out to the outside world. Essentially, like like it's mm-hmm. the the honor and embarrassment of the upper class that is essentially keeping the truth contained and everything. Mm-hmm. And so you could sort of you know get the uh, idea that perhaps the people running this republic mm-hmm. uh, were doing the exact same thing that the Communist Party was doing in 1986 in Chernobyl, sort of like trying to keep everything under wraps so that their, their reputation was not tarnished. And you get the impression that, yeah, the brigade leader is probably sort of part of that establishment.
1: Yeah, I think someday I would be interested in watching Chernobyl, but now in this time in the the world (laughs) it's not it (laughs) this this ain't it um but speaking of that scene between petra and sutton i really really like that scene um because it just it solely focuses on these two characters who are not main characters on this show which is something that that when that happens i usually find it really interesting um and here she is still like she's still trying. Bless her heart. Uh, but Sutton has sort of recognized, like he's he's, you know, she's a scientist, so she's been working in the theoretical uh, realm of this. Yeah. Whereas he's a more boots on the ground kind of guy. He's been a driller, and he knows. Like that, the doctor is actually right. He's got the uh, he's got the real world experience to recognize that. So he's trying to convince her as she's running around and trying to fix the computer. Like, we need to rewire the entire thing. And he's that's when she's he's like nobody's getting in or out. And he points it out. And the thing that I love the most about that scene is how she's just very staunchly like, no, you know, we're gonna, it's gonna be fine. And he's he says, you know, they left us here. He he says the thing about yeah. how not getting panic out. And she and she's like no but they'll they'll uh if it gets too bad they're going to send in um rescue units and they'll they'll pull us out to evacuate us and he just at that point he just he just recognizes he's like okay well this is i'm just going to take a step back and he mm-hmm. he sort of softens and he says well maybe they will i hope you're right even though it's clear he doesn't believe yeah. that and that's the point where she sees him make that turn and she's like oh wow he's He's just trying to comfort me. And like, then it just, it sinks in and it's just this great moment. And then she's scared and and they hug. And yeah, I just, I think that's an amazing little piece of of acting and writing and and directing. It looked really good.
0: The walls come down there. You know, Petra sort of, you could tell that she is one you know still loyal to her glorious republic as as greg sort of says and that 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 moment that it's finally sort of and they become human you know and all the you know you could tell that she's sort of been harboring these kind of feelings for him too as well and that also sort of comes out in a, in one fell swoop. but she sort of like feels slightly embarrassed after sort of hugging him yeah
1: yep. yeah she's she has been so loyal to the glorious republic until she realizes that the glorious republic is not loyal to her mm-hmm. and it's just it's a it's a moment of of understanding and recognition and pain and it's just it's really raw and real and they're they're, they're people who are scared of the end of the world and it's it's really heartbreaking mm-hmm.
0: yeah sheila dunn plays uh, Petra, uh the wife of douglas camfield actually uh who appeared as a 1920s movie starlet in Episode seven of the Daleks master plan, AKA the feast of Steven. And also was the voice. And I believe, uh, because it was animated, we couldn't quite tell the, the vision of the computer secretary in the invasion. The same one that Joe, uh, Zoe and, uh, Isabel, um, talk into, um, blowing itself up.
1: Cool. I really like her. I just, I think yeah. both versions of her, she's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I think so too. I, I, uh, uh, the the scene that always gets me is the way, you know, is John Levine does a really great job in yes. this, right? Mm-hmm. You, you
1: yeah, know. I was really impressed with John Levine's, like. B- b- he didn't. He didn't overdo the 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 fear of being, you know, grabbed by all the primords and then the the you know turning into a green werewolf thing. Like he, that's a, that's yeah. a thumbs up, dude. Yeah,
0: it, it's it's you know when the, they start to come out of the thing, and they're all surrounded by them. That we see the poor Benton's coming in, uh, and you know that he's going to be lambs of the slaughter. I just, it's the way that the that Nicholas Courtney just yells, "Benton, get out!" <laughs> you know, I just like, oh, like there's there's some real fear and tragedy in the voice there so when you were talking about the way that we're really starting to see the real brigade leader Mm -hmm. i still think that there's a hint of Mm -hmm. humanity there like it sounds like you know uh you know he's he's more fearing for him at that point than he is like Mm -hmm. oh no it's we're losing our strategic advantage if you get killed right now it was Mm -hmm. it was a touching moment i thought
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he's he's losing one of his you know, he's he's the under whatever he is to an under leader, Platoon under leader. So, you know, probably worked fairly closely with a mm-hmm. brigade leader. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's, you know, just just because he is motivated by self-interest doesn't mean that he totally doesn't care mm-hmm. about anybody else. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he's he's definitely bummed to see him killed by one of the dumbest villains in Doctor Who history.
0: Yeah, you don't. uh, So (laughs) the Primords, as they are called in the credits but not on screen, were basically a relatively late addition to the script.
1: You don't say. (laughs)
0: Because I think Barry Litz and perhaps Terry and Sticks thought we need uh, maybe a more physical threat than just the planet sort of blowing up. And so Don Houghton put those in uh, at the request of that. And also because uh, the kids like a monster.
1: Yes, yeah, for the kids, you got to have a monster. Oh,
0: kids, you're so stupid. I hate you. <laughs> what happened to our intense political thriller with that Oh, it's just like now, now that, well, I've talked about sound design in this, in this story. Now is it when it really comes to the, because it's just explosions going off anywhere. We don't hear any music. There's no music, I don't think, in this entire episode. Um,
1: There's a little bit of the wee at some point. I don't remember when it is, but, but I yeah, remember hearing
0: it. Sometimes I can't even tell if that's music or just, like, alarms or, like... <laughs> gas or whatever but there's just constant explosions it's just rumbling
1: and a pretty cool couple model shots of cool. explosions that was some good work yeah
0: it's good stuff from the model department as well good stuff from the set they slam that door to the brigade leader's office and nothing shakes yes. at all you were pretty impressed by that
1: i was actually impressed by that door opening and closing and i think episode one episode yeah. two um and I was just like, wow, that's a really cool, solid set with that giant door. And then here, yeah, they literally slam it in the face of a primord and not a jiggle, not a wiggle. Yeah,
0: and it sounds good, too. Doctor Who is not a, a show that dubs on door slamming no. noises <laughs> in 1970. So if what, when you hear that, soar, that door slam and it's a solid sound, that's a proper solid door slamming right there. Good job, designer Jeremy Davies.
1: Oh, yes. yes. Nice work. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't really mind the primords all that much mm-hmm. if they were less organized. That's the thing that I hate about them. Like, if it was just this weird goo from the middle of the earth turns people green and ragey and hot, Mm -hmm. fine. Right. But they have some sort of, like, motivation. Even back in the the real world, you have the one guy going in and, like, turning up the the heat or the pressure or whatever, basically sabotaging it so that things will go worse Mm -hmm. and worse. And then here when you have um, Stallman getting more and more taken over, he's... You know, speeding up the drilling, and he's also then when he comes in there, he attacks um, Sutton so yeah. that Sutton can't even try to get the coolant down to the, the drill head, uh, and then he grabs one of the the other poor schlubs and brings him over and slams his face into the goo yeah. like he's trying to create more of them. Mm-hmm. Just like there's some sort of intelligent design behind this, um, which if that had sort of been played up or explained in any uh, way in the story mm-hmm. i guess maybe i would but but what is what is the point at the, at this point like the earth is going to disintegrate are these guys are their body okay the doctor says mm-hmm an atomic explosion would be a light breeze or whatever in comparison to the... the...
0: Forces that you've unleashed.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, So the Earth is going to end. Are we supposed to believe that the primords are actually going to inherit it? Like they're they're going to be able to survive in this future world and there is some... um, sentient ooze at the center of the earth that has been trying to make this happen and finally humanity's reached the point that they can break the crust and the ooze is coming out and taking over people's minds and like that's kind of an interesting science fictional concept and if they had done that story I probably would have been okay with that but throwing in like a janky not finished piece of that kind of story without explaining it into the middle of this really cool political tense you know interpersonal thriller it just it makes me mad because it's like this could have been a truly perfect story and it really isn't because to me that's just a huge black mark
0: i think it's a flaw in the persian rug myself but
1: it's too big (laughs) no this is a hole in the person persian rug
0: yeah i i there is some sort of like race memory there you know the the all all species like look to procreate in a way you know and so like let's expand our numbers and so that we need this goop and so let's you know
1: yeah and uh and i can still retain the power of speech and it's just, just it's,
0: eh, it's too I, much that, actually i quite enjoy that i like how you know because because stallman clearly is still stallman until the very end let me out and then you can tell his voice becomes like changes at that point and that's sort of when he becomes the primord for for good, but at that point he's still like, you know, suffering with the last vestiges of of, of Stallman. I I'm wondering, you know, it's such a dark. Um, Aspect of the story that people, you know, normal people just like ingest this goo and they become these weird primordial creatures. It's it reminds me very much of what would happen, you know, the the body horror that sort of happens in the Philip Hinchcliffe era, You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of a glimpse of that, but without perhaps the explanation or the examination of it all.
1: And maybe if this was just all of the characters except the Doctor, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But this is the Doctor who is smart and like knowing and observant Mm -hmm. and I mean he recognizes that you know he I think he recognizes early on how they react to the heat and how Stallman has already been infected and like that kind of stuff he never says anything to make me think that he recognizes that there's a real intelligence behind it. like it's yeah. it's not it's not examined by the doctor in a way that i feel is doctorish i feel like it is just left hanging there and that just that really that really bothers me
0: like something that was added to the story relatively <laughs> late in the game
1: exactly yeah exactly so that's just it. just and they look they
0: look stupid they do look a little bit so i i for some reason i, I never i was never bothered by them when i first saw the story i thought it was enticing and stuff but i do know, know i was only 15 at the time <laughs>
1: yeah i i I think when i first saw this i didn't particularly care for them but i couldn't put my finger on why and i think it's watching it now that that i sort of realize that's that's why they don't don't really Mm -hmm. work for me because it's like it's like there's another science fiction story in there that's trying to get out Mm -hmm. and trying to be told and that would be cool but that's not what we have and it's just i don't know it just doesn't work for me. It's
0: it's uh, it's a shame because I think there's a scene in episode one where the Doctor and the Brigadier go up on top of the thing and have a conversation. I need answers, Doctor. And he said, you know, you've you've seen this sort of thing before. And he says, yes, Krakatoa. And I think it would have been interesting if uh, he would have given a little more background to what he saw at Krakatoa. Perhaps mm. even dealing with the primords, perhaps so that it was kind of like Chekhov's primord. We see it in episode one, we actually see what happens. in in episode five when it comes to it. Um, Because I do like, I like the halfway creatures the the feral creatures I like yeah. the way they act mm-hmm. I like, especially Derek Ware up on top of the roof I thought that he was just really good at acting like very feral mm-hmm. uh, and everyone else is sort of like you know they look kind of scarier and then once they put like the wig on them, they do kind of look like cut price ferals from warrior's gate in 10 years <laughs> time you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah I like I said I've, if they were less organized and more just like yeah. feral humans like that's like they've been taken over by some sort of you know mm-hmm. thing and they've just become bestial like yeah. that would be that would be a thing actually and there anytime you get a a story where humans are infected with something and suddenly they are suddenly they all have the same purpose and are like acting mm-hmm. together without any explanation of that that always bothers me that's just sort of a, a pet peeve of mine yeah.
0: <laughs> from inferno to the video for michael jackson's thriller mm-hmm <laughs>
1: Yeah, th- there are some zombie stories that kind of do that as well. <laughs>
0: Why are zombies did it together? They literally have no brains. They are seeking out brains. How can they think and act in a orderly manner?
1: Well, depending on the zombie lore, like they still have their <laughs> brains. Once okay. their brains are, are, you know, popped by a shotgun, then that's when they are no longer zombies. That's uh, that's hmm. zombie lore.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So anyway, it like that's that's your, yeah, the the ginormous flaw in the Persian rug for me is mm-hmm. the Prime Words. But there's a lot of other good stuff in this story.
0: So much good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm really uh I'm glad you're enjoying the story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really I liked episode five I think a lot more than I liked episodes three and four. Three was a lot of running around in action. Um yeah. and four was just like sort of working our way to where they mm-hmm. the good stuff really gets going.
0: Yeah, I don't, uh, I I grew up watching classic Who without commercial breaks with omnibus versions on Saturday nights on PBS stations. So I never quite know what cliffhangers are, which still to this day, even though I've seen them a lot on DVD and everything. But I think, judging by what my memory tells me and from what I remember watching the story on the episodic version, episode six of Inferno might be my favorite 25-minute episode in the history of Doctor Who.
1: Wow, that's something
0: yeah. So I'm looking forward to watching this one.
1: Well, now you've talked it up so much. Now yeah. I'm
0: nervous. I don't know. Well, you remember. You've seen this story before. I, if you, Had you not seen this story before, I just think there's a lot. It gets it gets more tense and more, you know, now that we realize that the world is going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, the, I like how it's been laid out. You know, we can't save this world or you, but you can save me and my TARDIS so I can save the other world that I come from. And so now it's a race against time and the actual destruction of the planet. And it's not something that the Doctor can actually stop. The planet is going to blow up. And it's just like those are stakes that we've never seen in Doctor Who before um, where the Doctor is sure to lose. And so it's exciting to see where it goes.
1: Very true. Very true.
0: Okay. Next up, Episode 6. Episode 6. Goodbye.